0: Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll take just a few moments tonight, I want to speak to you about the second two words that I shared with you as we face a new year. I uh, took the time recently to speak on a Sunday night to talk to you about four words that can be a help to us as we face another year, and especially with the theme of this year, a passion for thee. The first word we looked at was the word purpose. Purpose. What is our purpose? What are we trying to accomplish? Why does God have us on the planet? When someone gets baptized, it usually changes and they're buried with Him in baptism to walk in newness of life. Jesus, when He came to the earth, uh, He spent 30 years in a carpenter's shop. But is that why He came to the earth? To work with wood and to frame houses and hang doors and fix tables and chairs? That's not why He came. He didn't come to work with wood. And everything changed whenever he got baptized. When he got baptized, he realized that that was the turning point. That was the hinge. Now he came to the earth to do what God put him in the plan to do, and that was to give his life a ransom for many, to seek and to save that which was lost. But uh, it's important that we understand our purpose. It doesn't mean you quit your job after you get baptized. But what it does mean is that you're buried with him in baptism to walk a new way with a new purpose. And some of us, we got baptized, like me, I, I got baptized over 50 years ago. So it has been a long time, but I, I feel like I need, and it's one of the reasons when, we, when people get baptized, we ask them, do you want to live for the Lord? Is this your decision? Uh, I think it's important. Uh, one of the things that really frustrates me from time to time, I'll find someone say, well, I was baptized there 13 times. I can't stand that. Someone failed to explain to them what it, was, what it was about. And that sometimes people kind of get the assurance of salvation to get baptized again, and I think they should. But just to do it, just to, just to do it is not. it's not a, I, I think there's some, there's disconnect. Because it ought to mean something. But your purpose changes. Why did God put us on the planet? If he saved us, then why did, if, we, if he didn't have a purpose, he'd just take us home. But I do believe that we're here for two main reasons. Number one, to honor the Lord. Number two, to help somebody else. To glorify God and do good for someone else. And the best thing you can do for anyone is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. To be be after getting the gospel to someone. I wish that all of us would pray, God, use my life today to make a global impact with the gospel. Every teenager, pray that. Every senior adult, Lord, use my life to make a global impact with the gospel. Some of you will never pastor a church, but you could win a pastor. (laughs) That's right. You You may not ever pastor a church, but you could disciple a pastor. You may never be a pastor's wife, but you might win a pastor's wife. You might support someone who's doing that. I think of one young man, it was his soul winning with Brother Spear there. I know Brother Kingsley since he, even when he's just a single young man, now he's married and has children. He's a pastor of a vibrant church. And he's in charge of that information center there. But I just remember when I sat on a, on a bench outside with him, and this is probably now, probably eight years, nine years ago. And just uh, he had come to know the Lord as his Savior. He was in the Bible college there in Houston College, West Africa, and sitting with him. And I I just thought I didn't know that he would one day be so excited about going to community and starting a church and gathering people around him and now training others and sending them to the Bible college and now teaching in the Bible college. It was a beautiful thing to see what the Lord can do. But all of us want to be involved with God to make sure that you honor the Lord and you help someone. If you're not doing that, you're failing and I'm failing in my purpose of living. Now, some people, they're excited about how they can do on a video game. And listen, that's just, that's silly. You know, if you're going to do a little bit of video games to kind of be a diversion, or sports to be a diversion, or a hobby to be a diversion, that's understandable. We all need to kind of disconnect so that we can connect back. But if that's your purpose, is to beat some clown in Idaho on a video game, you got, you got rooms for rent upstairs, unfurnished. That's silly. That's a silly purpose. And only, I think, the Satan and the world system would want you to do that. That's not God's plan for your life. And I think there's some other things. We can laugh about that or we can say, yeah, I'm glad you're talking to kids about that. But there's some adults in this room that got some issues beyond video games. There's some precious girls in this room. And if we count the hours that you scroll through a, 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 a social media, it will be hours and hours. And it oftentimes takes you to places that you should not go, and knowing things that you have no business learning. Garbage in is garbage out. You cannot help but speak of the things which you have seen and heard. Be careful what takes place. He said, make sure you know your purpose. Number two is responsibility. We need a revival of responsibility. When God made Adam, he gave him three things right out of the box. Once he breathed into his his nostrils the breath of life, he became a living soul. He quickly gave him responsibility to dress and keep a garden. The second thing he gave him was a rule. He said, see that tree over there? You can eat any tree, anything, any plant, any vegetable, any fruit on any place in this garden, but that tree, don't eat that tree. Then number three, he gave him relationship, first with himself and then with Eve. And men, when you and I are train wrecks, it's usually because we're not responsible with what God told us to do. We fell asleep at the wheel. We got so caught up in selfishness and doing what we want to do that we're not taking care of the garden that God gave us and responsibility. Or we don't keep the rules. We know what the rules are. Or we don't work on relationships. Relationships, don't. you don't have good relationships because you want them. You have them because you work in. And you're asking God to help you. You pray your way through problems. But men especially, I believe it's so important. I, I cannot say that ladies are exempt from these three things, but I, especially for a man. Be responsible. Keep the rules. You know it's wrong, don't do it. You know it's forbidden, stay away from it. And, and then if you've got a relationship, we'll work at it. Ask God for wisdom. Put being a whiny baby. Quit being all about you and your feelings and your thinking and your desires. You know, a a man shows God and his wife he loves him through sacrifice. We learned that at the marriage retreat. For God so loved the world that he gave. There's a lack of love in the Wilkerson home. You're looking at the problem. It's my job to sacrificially care for Linda and my family. A lady shows she loves God and her family through surrender. The Bible tells us that that God is our, Jesus is our groom. We're his bride. He proved his love to us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do we prove our love for him? If you love me, keep my commandments. We show him our love by our obedience and surrender and submission. The same is true in a husband-wife relationship. There's oftentimes there's things there, and I want to encourage you to consider uh, there are oftentimes things that are just, are, sin gets complicated. Sin gets complicated and nobody should be abused or have a, be a doormat or things of that nature. But I do believe the biblical principles are very clear. And I think we need to look at them and say, God, I don't feel like that's right, but whatever you say, as for God, His way is perfect. There's a way that seems right to me, seems right to you, but you and I will not like the end result of doing things our way. He that trusts in his own heart, his own thinking, his feeling, his desires is a fool. But we need to take responsibility. And we need a revival of responsibility. And sometimes you have to take responsibility for somebody else's mistakes. You know, I have to take responsibility for the mistakes of others. That happens in any generation. There are things that happened years ago that you and I have to take responsibility for and deal with. Uh, We have to stop the cycle of sin. We have to deface it and say, you know, that wasn't exactly right, and God helping us, we're going to do things right moving forward. You have to accept responsibility for what God has given you the light that God has shown you. you. You and I have been given great blessings. And if I don't live for the Lord, if my kids don't live for the Lord, woe is them. I would not want to be them. I would not want to be me at the judgment of Christ if I fall off the wagon. And I've chased the world when I've been given so much. Young man, you listen to me this evening. Young lady, listen to me. God's put you in a Christian home and a Christian school and given you opportunities. You You ought to wake up. And realize, look, I've got a responsibility. I've been given a lot. To whom much is given, much is required. I think there's many young people that have been given very much in their life, and yet they're doing more with what little they've been given than you and I have been given so much. And we flip our nose at the the opportunities and make excuses. And people that are good at making excuses aren't usually good at anything else want to play the blame game. That's their fault. Their fault. That person failed, so I'm an idiot. That's dumb. Well, I quit because they did this. Well, you're going to find all kinds of excuses to quit. Whatever it costs for you to quit, the devil will give you an excuse for it. Whatever your price is, he'll pay it. If you need someone in your life to mess up for you to mess up, well, that'll probably happen. It's interesting what the Bible says to, to Peter. He said, Peter. Satan hath desired to sift thee. Now, Peter was a key kingpin for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Satan wants to kill you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He said, but I prayed for thee. When you're strengthened, you'll strengthen the brethren. When you're right, you'll strengthen others. Just a reminder, friend, uh, it, it's, it's, the stakes are high to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. The stakes are high. There's a lot more going on than just what's going on between your, your, your ears. A lot of things going on around you that you don't know. And you might be in sixth grade or you might be 75 years old. Your life matters. It doesn't just matter to you. It matters to him and it matters to other people. Take responsibility for your, for your decisions. Take responsibility for the, 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 the growth of another. And that leads me to my third word, number one, purpose. Number two, uh, responsibility. And remember, this is Ezekiel chapter 18, just a reminder. And when people start blaming other people, why they, and it just grieves me. But in Ezekiel chapter 18, God confronts the people of God. He says, look, because everyone was saying this, our parents ate sour grapes and that's why I have film on my teeth. My parents did this, and my youth pastor did this, and this person did this, and my teacher treated me bad, and that's why I'm having all my problems. And the Bible said that proverb will not hold up. Matter of fact, in context, he said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. What he's saying is you're responsible for you, and I'm responsible for me. I'm not just responsible for everything that happens to me, I'm responsible for how I respond to that. And it's so important that God's people will learn to quit making excuses. And don't say, well, my parents ate sour grapes and that's why my teeth are set on edge. He said, that's, that's not going to hold up. God's going to hold you responsible for you and going will hold me responsible for me. All of us have had things that happen to us that are unfavorable. We've had disappointments and heartaches. Don't take those as shortcuts of excuses. You still have every responsibility to do what God wants you to do. And one of those responsibilities is to exhort one another. That's the third word I want to give you. Purpose, responsibility, exhortation. Would you mind saying those three with me? Purpose, responsibility, exhortation. One more time. Purpose, exhortation. We don't use the word exhortation too much in our English language today, but it's definitely a Bible concept. It's a very important one. And it means to step in and encourage and build up another. It's the, it's the spirit of Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. It's your day to watch your brother. Every day is a good day to help somebody else. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, excuse me, in Philippians chapter 3, and 2 and 3 and 4, he says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others looking on other people's, uh, their life, and doing something for them. Some of us, we're not careful. We sap the strength right out of everybody around us. We're so high maintenance. It's life is all about us. We're so selfish. How it taps us, and we just sap the strength out of everybody. You don't want to do that. You want to bring encouragement and exhortation to those around us. And the Bible's very clear about this, and we find this in the book of Hebrews, our reading tonight. The, 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 hook of, the book of Hebrews is a great book. It's the only New Testament book that we don't, we're not sure who wrote it. God chose to leave the author uh, anonymous. But it was definitely written to Hebrew believers. And Hebrew believers, and by the way, if you feel, if you don't understand that, you'll get a little squirrely in chapter 6 and 10. If you don't understand that it's written to Christians. It's written to people who have accepted Jesus Christ, but they are struggling Asking themselves a question, is it worth it to suffer, to go through difficult times, to be rejected by your family? They're having head-scratching moments. Even though they've accepted Christ, the author is telling them, listen, whatever you have to go through, whatever you have to give up, whatever challenge you have to go through for the name of Jesus Christ, for his sake, it's worth it. Because Jesus is better. He's a better sacrifice. He's better than angels. He's, uh, he's better than, uh, than the Old Testament priest of Aaron. And he's a better high priest and all these things. He just builds a case all the way to chapter 10 about Jesus is better. Chapter 11, he gives the hall of faith of people who believe Jesus was better. And then chapter 12, he says, listen, if he's better, then run your race. And remember the fan base, people are watching you. Remember, run light. Lay lay aside every weight and sin that has so easily beset you. Remember to look into Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith. Remember to keep fighting the good fight of faith. You've not yet resisted against blood, uh, sin, striving against sin. You, You haven't bled out. You've got enough in you to do what you need to do. And by the way, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's not just a powwow verse we say when we want to win a basketball game. That is genuine heart belief that I can do anything God wants me to do. You can raise children. You can raise godly children in a wicked world. You can be pure in a world of sewage. You can have a pure mind. You can have a pure heart. You can, you can love and lead and serve. You can win souls to Christ. You can go to the mission field. of that. Anything God wants you to do. You can forgive someone that's hurt you. You can do anything God wants you to do. And he, he reminds them about that. He tells them, you know, listen, don't get mad at the Father. It's crazy how many Christians have built a case against God who has forgiven them and saved them and love them, and call them with a holy calling, and then something bad happens to them, and all of a sudden, God's on trial again. He said, don't get mad at the Father. Good night in the morning. He's been so good to you, and He's chasing you. He's allowed difficult things to happen, and everything that happens in my life, your life, is Father-filtered, and we can trust Him. And He is way too wise to be mistaken. He's far too good to be unkind. It talks about interpersonal relationships and lifting up your, 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 your knees that are low and your arms. Get them going and, and make sure that you follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man can see the Lord. Nothing takes you off your vision of God like interpersonal problems with everybody else around you. And then he says, be, be diligent. Watch, give looking diligent, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up troubles me and defiles other people. Don't be a bitter person. And you have no excuse to be bitter. When a conflicts happen, you're going to have to figure out how to deal with them with the Lord's help, and don't be bitter. Don't give your kids a bitter dad, bitter mom, bitter grandparents. Don't do that. Don't give your parents bitter kids. Don't let anything happen that would cause you to be bitter because bitterness troubles you and defiles many around you. If you have a pick between what you want to do, be troubled or defiled, most of us say, I will be troubled. But the problem is when people are bitter, they're, they're they're bothered themselves, but they really affect adversely other people in a very terrible way. But he tells them that in the book of Hebrews, these are things you need to do. Now, real quickly, in this passage of Scripture, he's referencing the Old Testament believers, and he's almost quoting verbatim Psalms. But he says, look, I don't want you to harden your heart. By the way, if your heart's hard, that's on you. If my heart's hard, that's on me. We can make all kinds of excuses, but if you've got a hard heart, by the way, it's very important that you have a tender heart. It's a command of God, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. If your heart is fine, you're finally getting calloused and frustrated and apathetic with everything around you, you better, you better get some attention to that. Better say, Lord, I don't want to have a hard heart. I don't want to become skeptical and cynical. I don't want to become caustic. I want to keep my heart tender, like a little child, tender and ready to receive and ready to forgive and ready to serve, and not not finding myself becoming like, yeah, yeah, bless me if you can. No, you don't want to be that way. And he challenged him, don't be hard-hearted. But just for the sake of our message tonight, would you look, if you would, please, at chapter 3 and verse number 13. Verse number 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you of an evil heart of what? By the way, faith is the most important thing about us. By the way, evil heart of unbelief, a lack of faith is an evil heart. We think, oh, evil heart's when you hurt somebody or you're, you're some pervert someplace. No, evil heart is someone who doesn't have faith. And you want to finish your life with faith. He says here, departing from the living God. An evil heart of of unbelief that departs you from the living God. You don't want to do that. Now verse number 13. But exhort one another how often? While it is called when? Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, one of the things that God says in exhortation means to consider one another to provoke each other to love and good work. That's exhorting each other. And it's important because exhortation helps your brother and sister not get caught up in sin. So I am my brother's keeper. I, am, I have responsibilities to, con, to talk and to encourage my brother and to exhort them. How often should I exhort them according to this verse? Daily. Exhortation is a very important Bible concept. We can see it in several places. Let's look if we can in just a few places. Go to First. Uh, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. Probably will not go to the last part tonight, and, and uh, but let's look at these. I want you to see it. First Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to hear your, your pages of your Bible turning there, would you? First Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse number 1, it says, for, for you yourselves know their entrance unto you, that it was not in vain. So we went to, it wasn't empty. But even after you had suffered, we had suffered before and were shamefully treated or treated, You know, in Philippi, we're bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Would you look at verse number 3? Read it with me. For exhortation was not of deceit. Yeah. Here, you know, if you're going to exhort someone, you need to exhort them with sincerity. Be serious and be sincere about your exhortation. You don't need to be flattery, flattery, flirtatious, flirter, flat. (laughs) You don't need to do that. No, you need, to, you need to do it with sincerity, genuineness. And he says, here's, he said, when we came to you, we didn't do this with deceit. i, I just tell you, friend, listen, uh, when you're witnessing to someone, just give them the honest truth. Don't try to trick anyone. Don't try to use deceit. I think it's, satanically, uh, it's a satanic strategy to try to trick somebody. Tell them the truth. Do you have any questions? Because all you are is you're just the mailman reading the mail. You didn't write it. You just recited. You can't save anyone. I love the fact that our young people have been trained to how to give the gospel, and one of them today on the way to church got to lead a young man to Christ, and I was so thrilled about that. But when you're giving someone the gospel, it's not with deceit. And you're thinking, well, I haven't led someone to Christ. I hope I could lead this one. And boy, I want to make sure he gets saved. I want to make sure he gets saved. Those are thoughts you need to throw down in your mind and just give them the truth. God is the one who brings that together. and That's what Paul says. He said, but my exhortation was not with deceit. It was not with guile or, or conniving or manipulation. But the same is true with each other. You want to make sure that you exhort each other daily and do it with sincerity. Look at chapter 4, would you please, in verse number 1 and 2 of 1 Thessalonians. Let's all read it together. Can we please? Ready? Begin in verse number 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus... As you abound more and more. Verse 2, for ye know the commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. You'll see the word exhort there. We exhorted you that how you receive the Lord Jesus, how you ought to walk and to please God. You know, I tell you, one of the things I love about a local church, and I feel sorry when people had a man come today. And he said, Pastor, I've been watching online for many years different pastors, but I feel a strong need to be a part of a local church. Well, I said, sir, you're a sheep. There's no lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. (laughs) Sheep need each other. That's a biblical responsibility to get involved, to show up, to provide your presence and your participation in a local assembly. And the devil, the world, the flesh wants you to get out and run off by yourself and be subject to the wolves of the world. But you need to be together in, in, in a group. And this is very important. But he says here, I I exhorted you that you would walk and to please God. As I think about that, I think about it as a young man, and I was so blessed to have parents who attended church Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek service. When they found out they could put me in a Christian school, if we weren't homeschooled, we were a Christian school. I'm so glad they did that. A great sacrifice. So thankful that they exposed me to that. But when I was around God's people, and I've been around some yin-yangs out there and some some doags and people who are messed up, but, I, but most of the people that have been my, that have been, I've walked around, I've, I've saw great examples in them. And they've inspired me to walk and to please God. I think about Sunday school teachers and choir members. By the way, if you can sing in the choir, sing in the choir. If you can play an instrument, play an instrument. What are you doing? Get involved in that. If you can teach a Sunday school class, work in a Sunday school class. Work in, if you can work on a bus, work in a bus. Do what God wants you to do, honor the Lord in those things. But, but one of the byproducts of being faithful is that you stimulate others to do that. Others are, are grown faithful because of us. Look at another verse, if we can, please. And, of course, the verse we read in Hebrews chapter number 3 was to exhort one another daily, while it's called today, day, lest, lest our friends be overcome with the deceitfulness of sin. Go to chapter 10, would you please? Hebrews chapter number 10. Thank you for, for listening this evening. Someone rehearse with me. What's the first word we spoke about tonight? What's the first word? Purpose. The second word? This word. Exhortation. Encouraging other people. Look, if you would please, at, uh, at chapter 10 and verse number 24. Read verse 24 with me. All the men. Would you men? Ready? And let us consider one another to provoke and to love and good works. Evaluating your friends, your, your brothers and sisters, and then provoking them To love God and others more and do more for God and others. By the way, that's what's on the table if you're saved when you stand before God. I am so glad when I go to God, I don't have to answer for my sin. My sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus. He is our advocate. The Bible says that God made Jesus to be sin for John, sin for you, who Jesus didn't know any sin, but we might be made the righteous of God in him. If I were to come to God in my own righteousness, pretend this is John right here, and and my life reads like a tabloid, all the bad things I have done for 56 years of my life. If I had to go to God on my own, and he had to judge me, I'm in a lot of trouble. I'm so thankful there was a day when when I was face-to-face with Jesus over here. This is Jesus, the righteousness, the innocent. I'm the guilty, he's the innocent. And he he showed me that he loved me and that while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. And he rose again. And then I had the information of the gospel and I said, yes, I will accept your gift eternal life. And he enveloped me in his righteousness. And now when I go to God, he doesn't see me. What does he see? His son. However, I am responsible. I'm not responsible for my sin because my sin has been paid by the blood of Jesus. But I am responsible for the what I did and why I do it. For my love and my good works. That's why you you want to be in, in a situation where you're stimulated to do something. If you stay here very long and you're not stimulated to do something, you're in a wrong place. You ought to be stimulated to give, to love, to forgive, to minister, to serve, to do something. Every day of your life. Why? Because that's what you're going to have to, in just a few days, we're all going to answer before God. And we won't have to answer for our sin. We'll be answering for our service. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we answer for our motives. That's one thing God knows. I'm going to pull back the curtain one day of the hidden counsels of the heart. You don't know why I do what I do, but he does. I don't know why you do what you do, He does. And he won't need a prosecuting attorney. He won't need any evidence. He knows everything. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all of his goings. With that in mind, he said, I want you to to provoke one another to love and to good works because those are two things that are important. I am so grateful for good friends and my lovely wife and my dad and my mom and my brothers and my sister. My college friends I met here at Houses of God, this wonderful church found before I was ever your pastor, many of you were used as tools to edify and encourage me to love God and others more and do more for God and others. But then in verse number 25, he tells us why we ought to be here. Let's look if we can, please, in verse 25, and we'll conclude with this verse. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but what's the next word? I'd like for you to underline that in your Bible. If you're going to have underlying things in your Bible, you want to underline that. That's a word that doesn't get focused on in this verse very often, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Be present and participating in the house of God when you come together. One of the reasons God wants us to come is not just to sit and listen or just pray, God, I hope the pastor's got a good one tonight because I am tired. Or just let me get something out of the message. You know, when you show up at church, you need to be an instrument of God's help to exhort others. That means you ought to come with a note occasionally. You ought to come with a good word. You ought to come with a smile. You ought to come with something, Lord, what can I bring? When you come to church, you want to bring an offering to the Lord. And that's not to raise money. That's to show our love to God. We ought to, we ought to come with, a, with an opportunity. Who could I be a blessing to? You know, when you bear one of those burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. You know what happens? He begins to bear your burdens. People that go around and say, my name is Jimmy. Take all you give me. I need, I need, I need. That's because you're not helping anybody. It's amazing how lighter your burdens are when you're bearing other, other people's burdens. And you're exhorting someone. Someone in this church needs you. There are precious little ladies who have lost their their spouse. There are men who've lost their wives. There are are single men raising kids. There are single ladies raising children. And it's not right for us to come and just to, to be oblivious to that. There are single young men and women who have been saved in recent days. And they need somebody to pray with them and for them and care about them. And it may be in the balcony on a Sunday morning. Don't just come and sit down and plop down. When you see someone you're not familiar with, don't let, you, you need to go see them. I was so blessed this morning. Several people saw visitors that just came. And they, they brought them to the Visitor Welcome Center and said, hey. I said, tell me who's visiting. I just met them this morning. We sat in the same section. This is my friend. Well, praise the Lord. That person needs them. you. You see them coming in and they're looking like, "What? this is a big place. Okay, that's your cue. What can I do to step in and help that? When you see little mamas getting their kids all ready and getting them in, what can you do if nothing else just to bless those kids? Pray with that mama. Pray with that man. Encourage them. He said, I want you to come to church and not forsake to some of yourselves together. It's one of the reasons I don't, I'm thankful for live stream, but I don't like it if you could be here. And I'm not here to hurt anybody. But you can't do the reason we're supposed to come together sitting on your couch in your pajamas. You can't exhort one another. You're just 100% a taker. You can only do that when you show up and you show up for the right reason, to be a blessing. I think this would be a game changer in many lives if we would say, Lord, what is my purpose? What did you put me on the planet for? I want to be responsible. I'm responsible for my past, I'm responsible for some of my parents' past and my father's past and I have to deal with that. That's okay. I'm responsible for other people. I'm responsible for the light God's given me, and I am here to help somebody. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer will be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others I can live more like thee. And help me in helping all the work I do to ever be sincere and true. And know that all I do for you, Lord, must needs be done for another brother or sister. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain. May your efforts be to rise again unless to live for others. Exhorting, responsibility, and Purpose.